Like many of you, I am grateful that the holiday season this year is going to allow us to get back to some beloved traditions that mean so much to us. Some of those traditions in our lives individually, some of those traditions in your families, things that we hopefully can engage in in this special time of the year, but also traditions that we hold dear here at Covenant. Sermon this day is a little bit different in that I want to spend the first few minutes of this talking about the path ahead for us uh, and where we're going to go and how this is going to work. Um, In some ways, uh, starting next week, things are going to feel very much like we're getting back to some of our roots here at Covenant. Um, We start Advent next week. Hanging of the Green service starts next week. Uh, It will be wonderful to gather and worship and to begin this Advent journey. On the insert that I invited you to look at in the welcome, there you will see uh, many traditions that we will be able to get back to, traditions for children and families to gather together, traditions for our youth here at the church, traditions for our life together as uh, a congregation in worship. We're going to begin having uh, our Advent candles again next week, those candles that come from the lectionary biblical texts assigned by the church, and those candles will guide our themes for the day of hope, of love, of joy, of peace each and every day as we gather. We're going to have amazing music as we go through the Advent and Christmas season that we've so looked forward to. There will be opportunities on Wednesday nights uh, to gather for that. There are going to be other opportunities throughout the weeks, midweek programming for music uh, and to celebrate. And we will have glorious music in worship each and every week. You'll see that on December 19th, we're going to have our annual Lessons and Carols, which has become just a a great tradition at this church and an opportunity for the music and the scriptures to guide us as we draw closer to the manger. And on Christmas Eve, we will once again have many, 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 (laughs) many services. Many, many services. It's more than one. (laughs) To light the Christ candle and to worship that the Messiah has come. It is going to be a glorious journey and one that we are excited about. But next week also marks the start of something that in recent years we haven't paid as much attention to here at Covenant. And that is with the start of Advent, it is the start and the beginning of what's called the liturgical year the beginning of the liturgical calendar. Now, the liturgical calendar is a way of marking time. It is celebrated and used by uh, branches of the Christian family for centuries all around the world. Uh, The liturgical calendar is something that marks uh, a 12-month year, and yet it doesn't do it by just the way our culture does it from January 1st to December 31st, but it allows the movement of Scripture and the the, uh, anchors of our faith to be what marks the start and the end of this 12-month period. And the year begins, the liturgical year, with the beginning of Advent. It begins next week with our hanging of the green service. Now, some of you come from traditions where the liturgical year was something that you know very well. Uh, it, it was an important part. It has been an important part of your life and your worship life. Um, for others of you, you come from traditions where maybe not so much. Uh, maybe you've never heard of the liturgical year before in that term. We have a whole range uh, here that are part of Covenant. And as Covenant does with so many things in recent years, we've kind of been a hybrid church in how we've dealt with this uh, and engaged in the liturgical year. 
And what I mean by that is that what we've done in recent years is that we have engaged and let the liturgical year guide us and the liturgical calendar guide us in the high holy seasons. So during Advent, um, it was a time, and Advent has been a time where we follow the, the movement of Advent. We let the lectionary text assigned by the church uh, guide us each and every week. We come back to it in the season of Lent, and Lent is a season that we intentionally enter into together. Uh, holy Week with Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, uh, Easter Sunday. But outside of those uh, times, we, we also let the lectionary text guide our daily emails. So if you are on our daily devotion that comes to the inbox every morning, those are the lectionary texts assigned by the church uh, that, that, that move us through the liturgical year. But outside of those times, the ways that we have moved as a church and the ways that we have developed in our life together is through thematic preaching series. So the perspective series that we just finished last week or, or the rebuild series that we did in Nehemiah to start the year starting in August. And so we've kind of been a hybrid of at times entering into the liturgical year and at times moving away from it. Starting next week here at Covenant, we are going to embark on a brand new journey. And the journey that we will be embarking on is that for the next 12 months, we are going to be following the liturgical calendar each and every week. Now, inside your bulletin, I said there are two inserts. Uh, the one was for Advent. The second one is this black one. I invite you to take this out. And again, our communications team has been hard at work on this. Uh, this is a kind of visual representation of the liturgical year, as well as several important dates. Again, like the Advent insert, this is for you to take home with you. This is for you to mark your calendar. This is for you to give to a friend. This is for you to put on a coffee table. This is going to be a guide for us about the journey that begins next week. And I want you to know that um, I'm really excited about this journey. I'm really, really looking forward to it. It's going to be a different rhythm. You won't feel it so much as being different next week because Advent is something we do. But you're going to notice it more in January. But before we begin, I want us to talk a little bit about why we're going to do this so that we're clear. A few different reasons uh, of why this journey, this year-long journey, will start next week. The first is this. It's going to focus us on the person of Jesus. Uh, about half of the year is spent uh, in the Gospels. Again, where does the liturgical year start? It starts with the beginning of Advent, the prophecies about Jesus, the coming of the Messiah. That's where we mark time in a year to begin. We will celebrate Christmas, as I said, many, 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 many times here. Uh, we will then, uh, then move into January and February and March. And in that time, we will let the lectionary text guide us. And we are going to focus on the gospel text each and every week. We are going to have about half the year to just let the four Gospels uh, draw us closer to the person of Jesus. And so whether you've been in church your whole life or going to Bible studies every week for 50 plus years, or whether this is kind of a new thing that you're wondering how this idea of faith and the person of Jesus works, we are going to be intentionally journeying closer and closer, seeking to draw closer to the person of Jesus. Through Holy Week, through the, the Passion of the Christ, through the, the Resurrection, and then through the Scripture passages that will focus us on His appearance to the disciples and others after His resurrection, before His ascension. And then we'll move into, in the summer, the book of Acts, and the birth of the church at Pentecost, and what it means to be a people filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. So this is going to be a journey that's going to be good for us because we are going to be able to focus on and draw closer to the person of Jesus, the perfecter of our faith, the source of love and joy in this world. 
And that's going to be a good thing for us. A good thing for all of us. Second, it's going to broaden our exposure to Scripture and to the church. Now, I've been the, the senior pastor of this church for about seven and a half years. And so what that means is, is that as we've done thematic series, uh, those series have had certain focus. And sometimes we collaborate on those together, but I'm kind of the primary one in those seven and a half years that's designed these series and outlined them or, or written them. And I hope one or two of them have made an impact and made a difference. But what you'll notice if you care to, just trust me on this, uh, if you look back over these series over seven and a half years, they're going to be drawn to certain themes because I'm drawn to certain themes. They're going to be drawn to certain passages of Scripture because I'm drawn to certain passages of Scripture. There are other passages of Scripture where we're like, well, I don't really want to talk about that. So we're not going to because I can write the series over here that I want to write. And again, it's not that that's a bad thing. But for instance, the perspective series that finished last week on the paralytic being lowered through the roof, that wasn't a random passage of Scripture. That is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And so we use that one in a very intentional way. This is going to broaden us because the lectionary text will lead our preaching each and every week. And I have looked ahead at the lectionary text assigned. And I can tell you that there are a few weeks where I'm like, this is going to be great. And there are other weeks where I'm like, I don't like this very much. But all scripture is the unique and authoritative word of God. And so for us to have to engage in those texts is going to be good for me. It will be good for me to have to do that. It will broaden us to a wider expanse of Scripture. But it's also going to broaden us to the church as a whole. This idea of the liturgical year, this is not a covenant thing. This is not a Presbyterian thing. This is an ecumenical thing. This has been developed by the global church over hundreds of years about how we mark time. And so this is going to be a way that the global church and the saints of centuries past are going to shape and have a voice in our life. So, for instance, we're going to talk in January more about epiphany than we have in recent memory and what that means and why that's been significant for Christians through the years. We're going to talk about the celebration of Pentecost, as I said, and really focus on how is the Holy Spirit alive in our lives and we come alive in our faith through the living presence of God. We're going to celebrate next fall. You'll see on, on your insert World Communion Sunday. And this is going to be a chance for us, again, to have the broader global church and the church for centuries past shaping and, and, and molding us in different ways. It's going to be a good journey. This is going to be a good thing for us. And last, it's going to reconsider how we mark time. It's not bad that our cultural calendar informs when we're busy and when we're not, right? But, but, it, but it does, and it's our default, when school's in session, we kind of work at this pace. When summer's here, we kind of we work at this pace, and we can go at a different pace in our lives. Again, it's not that it's a bad thing, but that default of letting the culture tell us how time is marked is something that we just want to plant seeds in of saying, is that the way as people of faith we should always think? But what would it mean for the liturgical calendar to say, no, these are the big moments of faith. These are the important seminal moments for followers of Jesus. And so build your life and build your rhythms and think about how you build your time in a different kind of way with faith as our guide. We're not going to do this in a legalistic way, but this is going to be a way for us just to have seeds planted in our life of how we default and think about the use of our time, maybe our most valuable commodity. And that process, that broadening, will be good for us. 
There are certain series, and I can tell you as one who's written a number of them, that as we get closer, I get more uncertain about it. I feel more nervous about whether it's going to work. The Perspective series we just finished, and like a week beforehand, I was like, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if we're going to announce the series and people are going to be like, yeah, you mean we're going to spend five weeks on this? Okay. That sounds really boring. I, that, you just, I, th- that happens a lot. As we've gotten closer to this one, I feel more excited. I feel stronger about why we're doing this. And I am looking forward to taking this journey with you. Take this insert home and get ready for what begins next week. It's going to be an important ride for us to take together. All right, that's the first part. Uh, But it's so different where we're going that I wanted to take some time before it begins to talk about it for a minute. Now, we have a way that there's no way to make an easy transition to, which is to get to the scripture and the theme for today that launch us into that. And to do so in a much shorter amount of time than I normally have for this. And so the way that I want to launch us into the theme for today is to bring this image up on the screen. Um, That's what all of you are expecting, right? Uh, I'm going to come down here. If, if this was a youth group, because you've had all this information coming at you, I'd make you stand up and do jumping jacks and like, you know, we got to, because you've just had a fire hydrant of, of information of the liturgical year and these dates and coming at you. I want us to kind of use this and I'm going to interact with you a little bit, okay? So I, I don't bite coming down here uh, of kind of how we think about this. But, but this is George Washington. And, uh, and George Washington is someone, uh, probably as most of us know, who has been talked about a lot. Uh, especially in the last year in, in different ways. And people talking about how we think about George Washington and, uh, and other people and our founding. And, and I, I'm not a big fan of um, Twitter informing how we think about people. I, I just don't think you can sum a human being up in 160 characters uh, and to think that you're saying something of a lot of depth. It's easy to tear a person, any person down in 160 characters, but not to really give any depth to it. So as George Washington's been talked about, and I love history, as many of you know, if you don't, I love history, and like my favorite books to read are biographies, uh, I was like, I don't actually know much about George Washington. I mean, I know he was the first president of the country, I know Mount Vernon, I mean, I know this, but I actually don't know, he's just this mythic kind of figure, and as he's being talked about right now, I want to learn about him. So I had somebody who uh, is, a, is a, a lover of history and biographies too. There's like six of us in the world. Um, and this person recommended a great biography on George Washington. It's like 800 pages, which actually got me excited. I was like, oh, 800 pages, yes. And so we just kind of dive in. And my kids make fun of me every time. Like, you're still reading that? It's like, yeah. Um, <laughs> and there was a lot I didn't know about this amazing person. Just things I didn't know. But one of the things that I want us to know today that I didn't know, you may have known this, is how popular George Washington was. Like at a level that you and I cannot comprehend in our world today. Uh, As most of us know, because we've had a lot of exposure to it recently, the Electoral College is how a president, for example, is chosen. And the elect, it's, you know, every state, you know, has a certain number. and, And George Washington did not run for president. It was beneath the office as he saw it. If you had to run for office, then you shouldn't, you shouldn't probably be the president. They should just ask people, it's like, who do you want to be president? And you just vote. And so he didn't run, but he's the only person in history that swept the electoral college. There was no runner-up. Like all the things we see of the red light and the blue light up the Empire State Building, oh, how the race to 270 and like the media. Getting, can you imagine that? Like no campaign 
Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Like no campaign at all. And there was no runner up. There was no silver medalist. He got every electoral college vote and it happened twice. It's the only two times. Imagine that level of popularity. And in his second term, I didn't realize how many people were calling for him to be the president for life. There was a whole thing in the country. And if he had run for a third term, he would have won unanimously again. And to be president for life. And so George Washington, in this amazing way, had this moment where he realized he did not want to run for a third term. Probably for a lot of reasons. But one of the primary reasons is that he did not want to die in office. Because the default for people was to want a king or a queen, as most countries at that time had. And he knew that for America to become what America needed to become, that the system had to be bigger than any one person. That people needed to see the peaceful transfer of power. And that when he's decided he would not be, accept the nomination for president, he also refused to say to people who should be the president after him. He said, the people have to decide this. It steered us away from any kind of default towards a monarchy in this country. Now, today, we can't even imagine of a monarchy, but it very easily could have happened because no one knew what a president was. He could have made it all powerful, and he had the popularity to do it and do it for life. We've been shaped in so many different ways because of this. Now, and again, this is just so that, you know, I'm not making any jumping jacks here to get the blood flowing. Civics 101, why is it that we want the kind of government we have versus a monarchy? Why are we indebted, among many things to George Washington, for this? Why is this form of government better? Anybody? What's that? Yes, power spread throughout. So there's this checks and balances in our system. That's absolutely right. Thank you. Anything else? That's good. Accountability. Yes, there's accountability. We're not going to throw stones at the political system today, but in theory, the way that it works is, is that nobody is out, uh, can be vote, anybody can be voted out of office. They are accountable to the people, and you don't get to be in power because of who your parents were. You've got to be elected, and you've got to stand up for election again. And that that kind of, uh, of power not being entrenched, but the people having power, he believed in fervently. All right, so because of this and because of other reasons, none of us here want a king. None of us here want a queen. When we visit countries around the world that have this, it's like we're trying to figure out how it works. And in the end, they're just sort of figureheads now because this is a gift that our Constitution has really given the world of the, how a government can work. And I want us to be very clear today, no one on this room wants a king or a queen or a monarchy. Everyone can be grateful for the system we have and to be grateful for it today because today is Christ the King Sunday. Congratulations, you have a king. And you didn't elect him. And to be a citizen of that kingdom, despite everything we know about our system of government in the world today, to be a citizen of that kingdom, to live under the dominion and reign of our king is the most important and greatest identity you will ever have in your life. And that today is what we proclaim to each other and proclaim to the world. It is Christ the King Sunday. Okay. I've got like six seconds left, and we haven't even read the scripture passage today. 
but we're, we're going to make it work. It's going to be great. What we're going to do today for our scripture passage on Christ the King Sunday is that the lectionary texts are going to guide us for the next year. So we're going to begin today. And the lectionary text for today to talk about Christ the King comes from the book of Revelation. Which I believe in Presbyterian vows, you're supposed to say you never preach from. But apparently we are supposed to. And so the text, assigned by the wisdom of the church, in all seriousness it is, is Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. Listen to God's word to us today. Grace to you and peace from him who is and was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that no matter who we are or how we walk in here today, we would experience your gospel, your good news, and would change us forever. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to walk through this scripture passage in just a couple of minutes. And we're going to let this scripture passage remind us of why it is we proclaim to each other and proclaim to the world today the glorious news that Christ is king over all creation and why our citizenship as king, citizens of the kingdom of heaven is the most glorious identity we can have in our lives. First, we see here, Revelation, the first verse, verse 4 that we looked at. Grace to you, John writes, and from him who is and was and is to come. So right there what we see is John, who wrote Revelation, is saying to us, I want all of you to know of the absolute authority and dominion of Jesus. He was from the beginning of time with God the Father. He is in the world today. He is to come. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, from everlasting to everlasting. There is no time. There is no place where his sovereign rule does not have dominion upon creation. John wants us to know from the beginning of the absolute supremacy and power and dominion of God. Pretty amazing amount of power. Like nothing else that exists in this world. That's verse four. Next one. Second of the three. Verse five. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. Now this is where the first description of what this king is like. And notice what John says. And the glorious news about our king is that our king doesn't exist high on a throne demanding taxes and demanding that we just follow around with whatever the king decrees. But that the first description of our king is one who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. Our king traded a throne for a cross. Think about that for a minute. The first description of our king is that he traded a throne for a cross. That you and I are broken, sinful people living in a broken and sinful world. And that does not mean that we are just evil and awful at every moment. But what it means is, is that we are people who can be incredibly self, selfless, incredibly kind, incredibly loving, and we can be petty and greedy and selfish, and we can be both in the span of 30 seconds. 
And, 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 and we live in a world where there is a brokenness to it. And every faith, every religion, every spirituality that lasts for more than four months, there are these fads that come up of like, you're good and the world's good and life is good and just be good. Those fade away very quickly because life is harder than that. And the world is harder than that. They don't stick around for a reason. They sound good in a moment. But what every religion, every spirituality that lasts over time has had in common is to acknowledge there is a brokenness. There is a gap between the creator and the creation. There is a gap between the people we were designed to be and how we live so much of our life. There is sin and temptation. There are things that we know are wrong that we continue to do, Paul writes, and there are things that are right that we fail to do. And all of us have that in our life. And rather than doing what every other religion or faith or spiritual movement does, which is to say, here's what you do. Here's the rules. Here's the patterns. Here's the things to make this gap smaller. If you do enough of this stuff, you become a good enough person to sort of qualify. Jesus and our faith turns everything on its head by our king coming into the world and saying, there is nothing that you have to do anymore because my blood is an atoning sacrifice for the brokenness in your life and the brokenness in this world. And our king trades a throne for a cross. And as we will sing in Advent and as we will sing with loud voices on Christmas, that when we come to know of the uniqueness of that king, our souls feel their worth. You want to know how much God loves you, how important you are in this world, how valuable you are. You have been freed by the blood of Jesus. You are a person that God had in mind when a throne was traded for a cross. And when your soul feels that worth, Nothing in this world, the scriptures say, can add to that and nothing can take away from that glory. That's the king we worship. That's the kingdom we live in. We're freed from our sins. But last and finally, the last verse, verse six, we're freed not just from sin, but we're freed for something and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. You're a priest is what John's saying there. You should be wearing this really uncomfortable hot robe uh, on a Sunday morning. You should be walking around in a clerical collar. You should be doing that every week because you've been freed for a purpose. Not just freed from sin by God's blood, but you've been freed for a call. There is a reason that you are alive, breathing oxygen on this world at this moment in history. God has a purpose, a calling for us, a reason we are here, that life is about more than seeing at the end of our lives who got the most toys and feels the most important. But there is something eternal for us to live into and to figure out. And what church is at its purest form is trying to figure out what is that calling on you? What does your priesthood look like? What is your impact on the world supposed to be? How is it that the world is supposed to be different because you're here? Our king frees us from our sin by his blood, but he frees us for a purpose in the world, which C.S. Lewis says is how you have joy is to have a purpose. There's a reason that you're here. God looks at every single one of us and says, I want you to come be a co-laborer with me and for your life to ripple in eternity. It doesn't get any better than that. That's what being a part of this kingdom is about. 
It's about saying that our God who has dominion in the world has freed us from sin. That our lives are supposed to be just singing the words of amazing grace as the children led us in this morning. Because we've been freed, but not just from sin, but we've been freed for a reason. To be priests in this world. And that is what the next 12 months are going to draw us closer to. To live the liturgical year that we can draw closer to the person of Jesus. And that every single one of us with our lives and with our words will declare to the world that Christ is King. Hallelujah and amen. Let's pray. Lord, lead us, guide us, breathe your life and your purpose and your love into us today and prepare us for the journey ahead. May we come more fully alive than we ever dreamed possible. As we worship and follow you, our Savior, our Lord, our King. Amen.